the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black sitting in for... CFB Chad Bird talking about creating wealth and managing wealth. Anything that you want to talk about, you can always check Chad out at chadburton.com. That's C H A D B U R T O N.com. There's plenty of good downloads available, and you will see when you're there that we are in the process of enabling some new technology and some new solutions to hopefully help you along the way. Um, the transitions that are happening on Wall Street right now are fairly obvious, right? And what do I mean by that? The Biden administration is a transition from the Trump administration. The stock market, in theory, should be transitioning right now from the shutdown economy, quarantine economy, to the reopening economy. It's never that simple. There's a lot of money involved and a lot of people and a lot of emotions and a lot of thoughts. And we don't all get on the same page for anything in this world, do we? Yesterday's session on Wall Street was the best session since June. That is quite impressive in my opinion. Uh, It was a day where we opened higher. And as the day went on, it marched higher. And I don't think I ever really saw it slow down. It was one of those days where I think I saw at one point on time on the S&P 500, two stocks were down. And you're like, wait, wait, are you trying to tell me 500 stocks and two stocks were down? Yeah, that, that was a bit of a march if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Pretty steady. The S&P 500 rallied 2.4%. Investors indiscriminately bought last week's dip, which has been a trend for 10 years. We have not been in a really, really good bear market for a long period of time, where it's day after day after day after month after month after quarter after quarter. Of everything's going down and you go, I hate Rob Black. That's why I have the Facebook group page. I hate Rob Black because a, you'll remember it and B I'm so darn cute. How can you hate on me? You can hate on me when the market's down for six, seven, eight months in a row. And I get it. So the S and P 500 rallied 2.4% yesterday. The NASDAQ was up 3%. The Russell 2000 up 3.4%. It was a big chunky move. All 11 sectors in the S&P 500 were higher. The new standpoint was a little bit more of the same for sure. And what do I mean by that? 
COVID vaccine gets approved for emergency use. The $1.9 trillion stimulus bill is signed by the House of Representatives and being handed over to the Senate. That's a super big stimulus. And it <clears throat> draws comparisons to when Obama got into office. And he did about a $1 trillion stimulus in his first year. This is $2 trillion. And a lot of people in hindsight look back at the Obama stimulus and go, it could have been bigger. And it would have created a better, faster recovery. Eight years later, we were fine. But it was a little bit underserved at the time, in my opinion. Um, let's see, what else is there? Warren Buffett and reminded investors to never bet against America. Was that our catalyst yesterday? I think a little bit of it. And a little bit of the Johnson & Johnson. And a little bit of buy the dip. And a little bit of the tri uh, $2 trillion stimulus. The manufacturing numbers for February exceeded expectations in Japan and Europe and the United States. Um... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything else that we can really say about this. Uh, airlines had a big day. United Airlines reportedly ordered 25 additional 737 MAX planes from Boeing. That is very interesting. We've heard about 737 MAX cuts. Of people saying, we don't need it because we're not going to be flying as much because the pandemic has slowed worldwide growth for a few years. Or worldwide flights. And I still feel that way. I feel there's a hesitancy for some, not all, but some to get back in the air. But United Airlines was nice, but Boeing was nicer. So United Airlines up 1.2% on its recovery play yesterday, whereas Boeing was up 5.8%. Now, I'm not doing this episode sitting in for Chad to really talk about all the nitty gritty of here's exactly what happened on one day, and that one day is going to change your life. What I want you to do is see as many learning lessons as you can. ExxonMobil was up 3.7% yesterday. Energy tied towards recovery. Tied towards United Airlines saying, we want 25 more additional 737 Maxes. They didn't say we want 25 less. They didn't say we're going to have 25 hanging out in the hangars. Because that's what planes do, hang out in hangars. Um, they're, gonna, they're buying them to use them. I think not everyone was a winner winner chicken dinner. Royal Caribbean down 2% yesterday, but listen to why they were down. Again, always try to figure out and see if you could see a trend. They need money because government stimulus is essentially dried up on them, right? I would say on some level, the airlines are too big to fail because we need to be able to fly at a reasonable price. But is anything too big to fail? And have they been given all that they're going to be given? So they said, we need money. And they issued common stock at $91 a share. They raised money. We saw Elon Musk do it a couple times with Tesla. Very smartly in hindsight. Um, he's, he's pulled enough money out of stock that he doesn't have to make money for five, six, seven years. And they still won't run out of cash. But again, cash is a little bit on the trashy side. And when you issue shares, you dilute shareholders. And when you report earnings per share with a dilution, it gets a little bit tougher for companies to get some stickiness. It will be interesting to see in the years to come 
how companies like Royal Caribbean do with share buybacks because they just they just sold shares. Are they going to buy them back at higher levels? They can buy them back at lower levels. It's it's very again. It's like something GameStop should actively be pursuing of selling shares, even if their price is artificially inflated, and even if they can't realistically do it. The, that those shares are expensive. It's an opportunity for a company to ring the cash register. You saw Tesla do it, so they don't have to make money anytime soon. They can open up as many factories as they want for the foreseeable future. Now you're seeing Royal Caribbean do it as a not really building more boats, but paying the bills on said boats that have been built. Ten-year Treasury was relatively tame yesterday, but I'm not going to underscore that it's had a big move fast. So sitting at 1.45%, it's encouraging coming off the sub one where it told you the economy is distressed. 800-516-1220 each calls on the air. Year to date, the Russell 2000 is up 15.2%. Whoa. The NASDAQ's up 5.4%. The Russell 2000 small cap US-based companies. NASDAQ is tech companies. The S&P 500 is up 3.9% year to date. That's not a bad return. Again, on top of last year, for the first two months of the year, I feel like a, a bad scene from the movie Top Gun. It's like, go Maverick, go. I don't know if that makes any sense. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. New Focus on Wealth. I'm Rob Black sitting in for CFP Chad Burton. What's the word wealth mean to you? Is it bourgeois? Is it... Uh, for the elite, what is it? The Democrats unveiled an ultra-millionaire tax on the top 0.05% of American households. Democrats have proposed a 2% tax on household net worth over $50 million. The bill has anti-evasion measures for the tax, which would go to 3% for net worth over $1 billion. I would classify this as a progressive lawmaker's effort to tax again. But moderates and conservatives already started pushing back on it. I don't know how I feel about talking about taxes on the wealthy. I could say things that, that kind of make me sound snarky. Like, eh. All I see is wealthy people dodging taxes. Or, yeah, let's see if this one stick. When push comes to shove, like, I don't know. I, think, I don't think I like talking about legislation that could be, should be, would be kind of thing. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Elizabeth Warren tweeted, a wealth tax provides money for President Biden's Build Back Better agenda. Policies like expanding the caregiving economy, everything from child care to nursing homes, rebuilding infrastructure, high quality K through 12 education, tuition-free public college, and technical schools. Wow. Listen to some of the details, though, on how we get there. The ultra-millionaire tax also has tax evasion measures, so a $100 billion investment to the IRS. What? What? Like, stop. Like, what? 
strengthen the IRS and you strengthen their ability to go get people who have cheated on taxes. I'm not 100% positive we could all agree that's a good idea. A 30% minimum audit rate for taxpayers subject to the tax. So if you are a billionaire, one in three billionaires are going to get audited. If you are in that 50 million or more, you can expect it. 40% exit tax on U.S. citizens with net worth over 50 million who renounce their citizenship. Okay, so I'm going to Canada, <laughs> like kind of thing. 40% of your wealth stays in America with the IRS. And we've already started to see, you know, millionaires and billionaires do things like Elon Musk saying, well, I'm going to go house myself down in Texas because California is inefficient or too high of taxes or something. I, again, I, I think it's early in this process, but it's something worth noting. I have a huge question for you. We're talking about the word wealth and what does it mean and what does it imply? Some people are going to say a wealth tax or a tax on the wealthy is, is a success tax. It's like a, an estate tax is a death tax where why are we taxing successful and dead people? Why not tax the smokers and the soda drinkers? Or And you run out of people who to tax is the answer. I don't know. So I have a big question for you. Where are you going to travel when it's all said and done? When you've gotten your two shots, your neighbors gotten their two shots, you're like, let's fly to Hawaii together and get a house and uh, families bonding together again. When things open back up, where are you going to travel? And it's really, really actually good investment question. Pandemic-weary Americans are searching for places to escape to on vacation. Yellowstone has exploded in a way that it really hadn't seen before, and you can kind of see that in the top trending destinations on Google searches. So companies like TripAdvisor and Google can release this information, and suddenly it becomes wildly profitable as an investment theme, but also the businesses in those areas could start getting prepped for opening back up. Thus, data on searches is sold. People were really looking for safe outdoor spaces. Yellowstone and other national parks offer that. Sometimes they're within driving distance. Um, it could, in theory, be a safe and comfortable way of getting around. Or are you ready to go to Miami and party in the nightclubs? The top searches on vacation getaways right now. Yellowstone National Park, Disney World, Disneyland, Universal Studios, and the Grand Canyon. Airbnb, which logged 49 million searches in January, is going to be one of the big winners. Where do you want to vacation? So how do you want to spend your wealth that you've socked away during the pandemic? It's great, great. It, it just makes me smile to think about, right? And then did you already hear like me and my neighbors might go to Hawaii? It's, we won't get a hotel room. Hotels maybe slightly feel a little bit too, too COVID-ish. I don't want to be sleeping on someone, but at Airbnb, we're like, well, it's a big house. The germs probably are all in the closet hiding versus a big hotel, right? 
we feel better about Airbnb, fewer people to interact with. That's the idea. But they've logged 49 million searches in January. That was 15 more, 15 million more year over year. Now, the only traditional supplier of rooms had 17 million hits, and that's Marriott. 49 million for Airbnb, 17 million for Marriott. Again, I, I think the trend is saying don't, the hotels are nice as a reopening play, but it appears the Airbnb and the VRBOs are, are nicer. Passenger traffic on airlines, checking the searches. Um, on February 25th, about 1 million Americans passed through security. We'll be watching those numbers very carefully as investors. See what direction they're trending. Catching a trend, you can catch a short-term trade. If it's a long-term trend, you can catch a hell of a winner in a portfolio. Southwest Airlines remains America's sweetheart right now as far as getting us around. In large part, they're pretty, pretty domestic. Uh, yeah, you can get to a couple islands, but not many. So Southwest is, if you look at the number of visits to a website in January, they had 26 million. American Airlines had 21 million. Delta had 15 million. United had 13 million and JetBlue had 7 million. So if you're looking for volume, Southwest is the winner and Airbnb are the winners. And where are you going to vacation to next? Carnival Cruise Lines had 4 million searches in January. Royal Caribbean and Norwegian had 2 million each. So uh, I'll let you draw your conclusions on all of this. I, I'm kind of saying Airbnb could be the tech play. Southwest could be the airline play. But again, draw your own conclusions. Sit in for CFP Chadwick. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news recently. Time moves incredibly quickly. There's a big time shortage of semiconductors in the world. A shortage of semiconductors. This sounds like a plot from a sci-fi movie. Right before the aliens attack us. We have a shortage of semiconductors? How is that possible? Tesla said they're shutting down production of one of their models for a few months, a few weeks, due to the shortages. Neo, the Japanese Tesla, uh, Chinese Tesla, said the same thing. We're having problems getting our hands on chips. The supply chain is so important in technology. And the companies, it's almost like Game of Thrones. Control the supply chain, control the, the crown. It, Apple may not have the best phone right now. They may not have the best services right now, but they've got the best supply chain. Or they have one of the best supply chains because they're not feeling a hiccup. And it looks like they're ordering 100 million parts for the iPhone 13 coming this fall. 
So they're expecting, they're, they're, they're ordering now because they know what's coming down the road. Their supply chain is that good. I'm not being braggadocious. I'm just telling you, pay attention to the guys. They're good at what they do. All of Apple's 270 stores in the world are open right now. Not it's, it's very second, but today they'll be open for business. That's the first time since March, 2020. I don't know if we're going to look back and say, wow, I wonder how many of these pivots are for real and forever. I sense some of them are going to be forever. Now the pivots meaning when we go into our dental office, I, I, I went to my dentist, you know, a couple months back and I was overwhelmed with the visual of it, how safe it felt and looked, how essentially the guy is in a big old plastic bubble and all the assistants are in big plastic bubbles. How they're able to operate and, and scrape plaque is beyond me, but they are. And again, that's a change that I, I maybe I'm going to want it to get a little bit warmer and less scientific and, and cold in the future. But for now, it's like, oh, that, that's kind of looking warm and lovely to me. I got plaque on my teeth that I need it scraped and you're the only ones who can do it. And I want to feel sick. like, okay, but Apple's changed a lot too. They, their stores now are very express pickup oriented instead of browsing around and touching a hundred different computers. Before we're like, if I'm going to spend $1,200 on a phone, I'm going to go to an Apple store and touch it. In fact, I'm going to put my tongue on it. See, now it's just like, okay, here's your order. It's in a nice expensive bag. Go away. Thank you. So how many of these are going to stick? When I talked about time and how it's fleeting this year, we're already into March. One of the things I, I want to throw out there is look at the last 10 years. 10 years ago, Steve Jobs made his last public appearance on stage. And 10 years ago, Tim Cook became CEO of Apple. The iPhone has leaped 10 generations from the iPhone 4 which if you don't remember how big and clunky it was, it wasn't the size of a shoebox. But go YouTube video on the iPhone 4. That was 10 years ago. It had brand new features like Siri, 4K video recording, 4G, Touch ID. In 2011, there was no Amazon vans roaming the street. And now there's one on almost every single street in America. You know, I said all 270 Apple stores are open right now today. I bet if we look at the phone, uh, not the phones, but the roads, how many Amazon vans, if we were to have like Google YouTube map kind of thing and, uh, or Google maps, you know, they come take pictures of your street. <laughs> Amazon vans are going to be everywhere now. They've got 1600 logistics centers around the world. Again, that supply chain, that ability to deliver product, they continue to get better and better at it. Amazon Web Services became a cloud computing juggernaut 10 years ago. Or it was nothing 10 years ago. Now it's become a juggernaut. 10 years ago, zero companies had a market cap of $1 trillion. Now Amazon, Apple, Google, and Microsoft all do. That's, that's a big move. And again, I'm just talking about the last 10 years of tech. 
Washington, Washington um, 10 years ago, President Barack Obama had dinner with tech executives. And he sat right in between Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. It's a weird looking picture now. Um, a, you have a different president, but then you have a really young looking Mark Zuckerberg, and you saw Steve Jobs for his last time. Um, it was cordial. The president was trying to say, you know, what's the, the playbook going to be with Congress and the government and big tech? Uh, president Trump threw that playbook out and got aggressive with Facebook and Twitter and essentially every social media platform out there. And do we moderate content? Do we not? Are the platforms too powerful on their own? Is their censorship? Is censorship bad? Is it good? Um, when there's an idiot in a bar screaming dumb stuff, should social media be able to ban that person? Or do you just get up and leave? Like, we're really still kind of figuring out what's going on with technology and regulators in the United States 10 years after the fact. 10 years ago, Tesla had one car on the market, the Roadster. And there was really no other all-electric vehicles, none. You had some hybrid things, the Toyota Prius and such, but now Tesla was the only one 10 years ago. Now they have four models on top of the Roadster, the Model S, the Model 3, the Model X, and the Model Y. And virtually every car company in, in the world has an electric offering. Market's gotten bigger. 10 years ago, Netflix split its DVD business from its streaming business in a disastrous move, what they were going to call it Quickster. Q-W-I-K-S-T-E-R. Do you remember that one? Um, it's pretty interesting to note that 10 to 15 years ago, when we were getting the Netflix envelopes in the mail, we were excited. I would have to think the post office misses that in the sense that people would come out to their post office and go, hey, you brought a DVD movie to me, thanks. And go, hi, Mr. Postman. Uh, and we'd, we'd shake hands and we'd be <laughs> within three feet of each other. Give me my DVDs, thank you. Uh, I remember a little bit of a joy 20 years ago, just burning through the whole Sopranos catalog on Netflix. And what was there, three episodes per DVD? Sometimes four. And you realize, oh, sweet, a bonus one. They, they, they scrunged it in. But that's also when 10 years ago, it started streaming the original content with the breakout hit House of Cards. Today, the company has completely changed Hollywood setting up big media deals on a regular basis, rolling out a new movie a week onto their platforms. And again, some people will say this, and I, I've had this conversation recently. Netflix has gotten better about their movies. 10 years ago, they were like an Adam Sandler, like slap your knee fast. Now they're, they're okay. I still don't think they're, I don't think they'll ever be Disney as far as let's put a spaceship on earth. And let's have 100 million aliens invade the planet. Disney can pull that off. I don't know if Netflix can pull that or even if they want to. Because they're making a lot of their decisions on artificial intelligence and numbers. And if they can't win that market, they won't play in that market. Taco Bell just bought an artificial intelligence company. So they can figure out how to market to you better. 
you say the word chewy in a commercial does well. Okay, let's go talk to our chefs. What word, what food has chewy in it? Or bacon. They're going to use artificial intelligence to figure out how to get us to buy more Taco Bell. I'm kind of thinking to myself, I've had plenty. So 10 years ago that we were doing House of Cards and we were doing DVDs. Now it's all streaming all the time. Comcast raised their prices in 2021 and basically said, hey, we know you're at home. We know you're consuming a lot of this stuff and we'll be good about your data caps during 2020, but 2021, we're raising prices. Very, it's streaming too. And I was shocked when I looked at my Comcast cable bill. They're like, you've essentially streamed 143 high definition movies worth of, of data this month. I'm like, I did not. I swear I did it. And apparently I did. 10 years ago, Uber was just a black car service that would work a fraction of the time. Airbnb was expanding from an air mattresses to homes and DoorDash didn't exist. Airbnb, when they first came out, were like, hey, if you wanna come to San Francisco and visit and vacation, I'll put you up on my air mattress. There were some stories 10 years ago about women who wanted romance would get on Airbnb and they would find a, a Spanish villa to go visit and live in the guy's back room. And it was like, uh, are we talking Harlequin romance novel? That's Airbnb had stories like that. 10 years ago, tech companies didn't start releasing diversity reports until 2014. Hashtag me too came in 2017. Black lives matter came in 2020. 10 years ago, Bitcoin was a curiosity for math geeks. I talked with an attorney yesterday on Bitcoin. Oh, did he tell me about the speculation going on? He got me a little bit scared again. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial sitting in for CFP Chad Burton. Find Chad at chadburton.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing more in my 20s. Or my teen years, in my early 20s, I did not see me sitting behind a desk in a suit. And 30 years later, I'm sitting in a desk behind us, <laughs> sitting behind a desk in a suit. I used to think I was in a punk band in my head, and I'll never be that guy. But here I am doing it now for 30 years. I'm proud of it. I'm glad I did it. In the end, I'll be glad when it's over and I can go back to thinking I'm some sort of rebel rock star. Uh, but when David Bowie stopped dressing up as Ziggy Stardust, he didn't stop being Ziggy Stardust. That's him. I know you're saying, David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> I do feel like I'm playing a little bit of a character <clears throat> when it comes to financial media. I never saw this. Let's talk about a massive disruptor out there. Where, where can we, as an investor... If you can find companies that are disruptors, and CNBC has a whole thing, the, the top disruptors, CNBC's disruptor list. I, I think it's a great list to look at. I love lists. I love top 10 lists. I just did a top 10 how things have changed in tech in the last 10 years. I love lists. From the home offices in 
Torrance, California. Let's do a top 10 list, right? Uh, one of the areas where I find a lot of disruption happening right now is in real estate. And yesterday I did some content on Generation Alpha, children between the ages zero and eight, or essentially all of Alec Baldwin's children. <laughs> Man, that guy has a lot of kids. Um, but the disruption that I'm seeing in real estate is that it's not really changing. I've got a friend whose wife does real estate, and I'll be honest with you, she's a great mother and a great wife, but she's not my prototypical definition of a real estate agent. The prototypical in my head is someone in their, they're a go-getter, they, they got like a home station computer set up, they're, they're printing stuff, they're uh, very organized and They've never met a house they didn't like or that couldn't be fixed up. Like there's a, a prototypical in my head. So I think that industry still needs to be changed and disrupted. The venture capital firm said uh, they came, they did some research, a group called Loop Ventures. And they're looking for anyone who can transform an investment arena. And one of the ones that they see as transformational is what they would refer to as i buying it's going to account for 10 percent of all transactions by 2030 so they like shares of zillow and open door thinking they're well positioned to triple over the next five years as economies improve and essentially what they're trying to imply is that the younger generation generation alpha when they grow old enough to buy a home or the millennials, or Generation Z. The millennials are, are in age, home buying age. So we're probably gonna talk about millennials and Generation Z for the short term, but down the road, we're gonna be talking about Generation Z and Generation Alpha. They account for over 40% of the US population, millennials and Generation Z. And they'll be a prime target for buying and selling homes digitally. In my opinion, they don't have the prototypical, stereotypical real estate agent in their head. They don't, they don't see that. And I, so I'm kind of agree with Luke Ventures here. The residential real estate market is one of the largest markets virtually untouched by technology. According to Luke Ventures, each year around 5.4 million homes are sold, generating $1.9 trillion in transactions. The two companies that they're pointing out to you are Zillow ticker symbol Z, and Open Door Technologies, ticker symbol Open. I'm not telling you to go out and buy these. You should always consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks I've ever mentioned. What I am saying is these trends are fun to look at from a social commentary level. I don't go to get lunch at a bar anymore. I don't have a chicken sandwich and have someone come up to me and go, hey, Rob, what do you think about Zillow? But I love talking tech. So, and I, I hopefully you do too. In 2019, one half of 1% of homes were done by iBuying transactions. If that increases to 10% by 2030, you're talking about a huge push. It's a lot like the push you've seen in Tesla. Rob, I wanna buy Tesla, should I buy Tesla now? No. They've moved from their one half of 1% of cars on the road being electric vehicles to 3%. They've already had, but there's still more to come. Does that mean the stock will allow for it? 
it probably means the monstrous moves are in the past, but there still could be big chunky moves. The big fear with Tesla that I keep hearing on the street right now is that Elon Musk is the richest man on the planet or one of the richest men on the planet on any given day. And then he just may become distracted. Someone asked me the other day, is he married to Grimes or is that just a girlfriend? I'm like, I think it's just a girlfriend. But she's also baby mama. And she came out with some digital art yesterday. And I, I don't like digital art. Think of digital art from like the fantasy epic kind of era of 1970s crushed velvet vans. It's the kind of stuff where it's like a warrior goddess with a big sword and a bloody head on her uh, left arm and riding a, a Pegasus kind of thing with beautiful astral lights behind it. I'm not a big digital art person. She pulled in millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Is there some distraction going on in the Musk household? I don't know. But Zillow owns the top real estate funnel, and they can leverage its brand to gain market share from Open Door in the iBuying market. Zillow has a 25% market share of homes bought or sold online in the first nine months of 2020. Open Door is in the leader in the iBuying market with this share. I'd keep an eye on the stocks. I, I think that's an area that needs to be disrupted because we still have the prototypical salesperson in mind when we think of real estate agents. I'm Rob Black, sitting in for CFP Chad Burton. Find him at chadburton.com.